Ephesians chapter 2, beginning at verse 11. Therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Of course, they picked the American to speak on walls of hostility. (laughs) (coughs) Oh my, oh man. (laughs) He who shall not be named. There was a while when my wife and I would go to parties and we'd be like, no one asked us about him tonight. We were like so relieved, so relieved. We don't understand it either. It's okay. We don't understand. Well, we have our theories, but yeah. But I mean, of course, that's to the point, isn't it? It's to the point, isn't it? We're, uh, we're in this time where there's like kind of crazy stuff happening and division, hatred, hostility, all these things are rolling around. But if I can, I'd like to somehow, like, if I could uh, talk about this for a second and just kind of make a quick point at the very, very beginning, just God does not care what your class is. He doesn't care what your background is, what your pedigree is. He doesn't care how much money you have in the bank. He doesn't care how much education you have. He doesn't care if you're beautiful he doesn't care if you're actually pretty average looking or maybe actually a bit unfortunate looking. Let's, that happens. So, you know, God doesn't care. And Jesus doesn't care. He loves you. And he wants you to draw close to him. And he wants us to get over ourselves and wants us to love, feel the same way about other people. He just wants us to get over ourselves and all of our little prejudices and bigotries and judgmental attitudes. On Sunday, I was at uh, the Meadows, and my wife and I were enjoying kind of a nice, peaceful time, and some woman was screaming at her daughter. I don't know what was going on, but she was just screaming at her in the car. And this went on for like 15 minutes. And, you know, I was like sitting there trying not to judge. 
but I was judging. I was like, oh my gosh, what is this lady's problem, you know? And Jesus loves that woman. I don't know what was going on in her life, what's going on. Jesus does not look down. I kind of looked down on her. I thought, oh, what kind of behavior is that? You know what I mean? Jesus does not care. He died for her as much as he died for me or any one of us. So if you do, so whoever you are, whatever's going on, doesn't matter what you get on your exams, Christ loves you. He cares about you, and he wants you. The God of the universe wants to pull you close. And then he says, look at all these relationships that can be yours as well. He loves you. So if you don't hear anything else tonight, know that the God of the universe doesn't care where you've come from or what you're about. He loves you, and he wants to pull you close. He wants to pull you close. But of course, um, I'm going to read a little bit of this because it's been kind of a crazy couple of weeks. We, we live in a world riven by bitterness and cultural divides. The accounts of the past decades, centuries, and even the last thousands of years are being called for review. All of us probably have an opinion on what's going on with racial stuff. We think we have ideas about what should or shouldn't be done. Everybody's talking about it. It seems like social media elevates the worst voices. Instead of making things better, it's making things worse. In the last week, well, what in the last like in the last month or two, like Christchurch, some guy goes into a mosque, starts shooting people in some sort of misguided culture war. And then in Sri Lanka, hundreds of people killed by suicide bombers. And then in Northern Ireland, some journalist is shot in the middle of some sort of absurd secular uh, sectarian violence. And then uh, yesterday in the States, in a town I have actually been in, in Poway, California, my cousin was a youth pastor there, somebody walked into a synagogue and shot some people. It, what is going on here? And, and, and I don't know about you, but I find myself at a loss. I find myself at an absolute loss. What hope do we have? What is the answer? Racism and bigotry and prejudice, they're not new. If you just look down through the centuries, they've, it's always been with us. And probably, there probably isn't a people group that, whose hands are clean when it comes to this kind of stuff. Some of our sins are more recent than others. I, I, uh, again, I'm from the United States, and it, it always has blown my mind that within living memory, we had like black only, you know, white-only bathrooms, like in living memory, not like, not like a hundred years ago. In, there are people you can talk to who lived through that. It just kind of, sometimes like, it seems absurd to me. I was, uh, I moved from, I grew up on the border of Texas and Mexico, about 10 minutes from Mexico, in a, in a community that was 80% Latino, Hispanic. Uh, my parents do, did work in the barrio. I was, my first church songs were all in Spanish. That's how I grew up at the, at the beginning of my life. And then we moved to Georgia for a short period when I was late in school. And, um, and I went to a community that was 60-40 white-black. And, uh, and it, was a, it was a bit of an eye-opener because Texas is sort of, uh, parts of it are like deep south, but parts of it are sort of cowboy western. And where I was from, it was like cowboy Mexican blend. It was amazing food. <laughs> amazing food. Amazing food. I miss... I miss me some tacos. I'm just going to be honest with you. 
I, I really do miss me some tacos. <laughs> There's some, Oaxaca's nice. It's nice, but it's not. Anyway, I mean, that's another story. Um, sorry, I got off on the tacos for a second. <laughs> but, uh, but I remember we moved to this community, and it was 60-40, white-black, and it was a different event. It was deep south. It was north Georgia. And uh, at the end of school, we were doing this class trip to uh, the Capitol. And so, and you could go, they gave us different options. You could go to see the Jimmy Carter Center, or you could go to the MLK Center, Martin Luther King Center. And I thought, so the night before, I was like, what am I going to do? And I thought, well, in 100 years, no one's going to really care who Jimmy Carter was. But yeah, I just thought, you know, nothing. And, but I thought, in 100 years, I'll definitely remember MLK. So I, I just got to school that day. And again, I wasn't from the community or anything, and I just kind of, there was nothing especially virtuous. I was just thinking who was going to be the most memorable person or something. And I jumped on the bus, and there were three buses going to the Jimmy Carter Center, and there were two buses going to the MLK Center, white, black. And I got on the bus going to the MLK Center, and I was like, ooh. I was like one of like six kids who, and again, I don't want to make it sound like it was particularly virtuous or anything. I, I was just sort of an outsider who stumbled into something. We live in a, a day and age, and this is, you know, this is about 25 years ago, it's, or 20 years ago. And this stuff is kind of still with us, and we're still trying to figure it out. And again, racism and prejudice and bigotry, they're not new. And... Um, and we're trying to walk our way through this. So what is Jesus? What, what difference does Jesus make? And what I want to say is that the answer always is Jesus. Jesus is the way. Jesus is the truth. Jesus is the life. Jesus is our peace. And, 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 and this is how we need to approach these things, this, this division and hostility as Christians. We need to start with Jesus. But, um, and, and, so, uh, and, and so we need to look at what Paul does in this passage. And Paul talks about that, you know, that there was some ethnic and there was some cultural discord going on in his time. Um, there are all kinds of divisions in the Roman Empire. But the one that we have a kind of a lens into because uh, is the Gentile and Jewish conflict. Because in early days, um, uh, the, the earliest followers of Jesus were all, were all Jews, of course. And then very shortly thereafter... Very shortly thereafter, um, some non-Jews or Gentiles begin to come into uh, the church. So, um, Paul needed to address uh, some issues there that had been separating them. And, and see, a problem had developed in that God had chosen Abraham, he had chosen the Jews, and he had said, through you, he had chosen them for a purpose, through you, I am going to bless the entire world. Evil has come into the world, sin has come into the world, but I have a plan, and this plan is going to be, in, uh, is going to be brought about by individual people being obedient, being faithful to me, and I'm going to start with you, Abraham, because you have faith in me. And so, uh, God chooses this family, and he begins working in them, and he reveals his heart, his character, and he gives them different kinds of rituals, and he gives them different kinds of laws and different things, and even a, kind of an establishment of a society that would reflect the heart and character of God and also spur them on, hopefully, to being a people who would love the nations. 
God's intention was always that the children of Israel would be a blessing to the nations, and in fact, and, and, and they have in many ways. But what had happened was that down through the years, there had been so much conflict, and they'd been oppressed, and they'd been sent into exile. And then, you know, just before the time of uh, just before the time of Christ, just within the last 100 or 200 years, in sort of the persecutions that led up to Hanukkah, uh, Jews had had to died for things like Sabbath and circumcision. So these were deep identity markers that they really cared about. And so when Jesus went after these things, it wasn't just a matter of Jesus kind of breaking the rules. These were sort of deep identity markers for the Jews. They had, people had died for keeping the Sabbath. They had died to be circumcised because they were going to hold on to their ethnic identity in the face of persecution. So, so when, when, when Jesus and then Paul begin pushing back on these things, people rise up. And instead of these, these sort of rituals or these symbols being signs of their missional calling, they'd become sort of badges of honor and they'd become things that excluded people and gave them their own identity. Instead of seeing what God had given them as something to go out with, it became something to push people away with. And of course, um, they in turn, being wounded, were looking down on others as well. Hurt people hurt people. So Paul steps into this and he says, I want, I want to show you what Christ has to say about this. Christ wants to draw us near. The solution to this problem of ethnic divide is the cross, and it's Christ. In this amazing story, this is a story, this is a picture of, uh, of the prodigal son. There's one who's far away, and there's, there's a son who's far away, and there's a son who's near. And the father welcomes the son who is far away, but the son who is near gets angry. But the father says, no, you need to get, let go of your anger. You need to remember you're both my sons. Everything I have belongs to both of you. It can belong to both of you. When Jesus died on the cross, he made God accessible to every single person by faith. All you have to do is trust in him. Trust in him. Give your life to him. Say, surrender your life to Christ. But then as you draw near to God and as you come into intimacy with him and as you become one with him, well, if I do that and Paul does that, right, then, then suddenly if I'm one with Christ and Paul's one with Christ, well, then I'm one with Paul. And there's just no room for division of any kind. And this even steps into, even leaks into our personal relationships. A few times in the last um, month or two, Dave, uh, Dave has mentioned that if we don't forgive others their sins, we may not be led into the kingdom of heaven. Now, it's not because God is like, that's a sin he cannot forgive. It's because heaven is a place of forgiveness and reconciliation. And, and you can't come in if you're not going to be a reconciler. Like, that's just, it just, you can't be there. It's like bringing hell into heaven. We're not going to let hatred and discord and anger and bigotry and unforgiveness come in. Like, Jesus isn't going to let hell into heaven. So you've got to leave it at the gates. If you're going to come in, you've got to accept the fact that you're one with somebody else. Now, now what does this mean for us? Where does this go? Again, 
if you struggle with bigotry, I, 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 you know, I kind of told a good story about myself. Oh, I went along to MLK Center, kind of, kind of slightly wokeish, you know. <laughs> but um, I grew up in a, I grew up in an area that was 20%, about 15, 20% white, 80% Hispanic, and like I didn't, I didn't really see like a really poor white person until I was older. Actually, most of the poor people I saw were Hispanic or Mexicans. And I looked down on people. I'm going to be honest with you. Like, I had to, like, look myself in the... I, there was prejudice in my heart, you know? And you don't want to say it. You don't want to admit it to other people. But I thought I was better than other people. And I, I remember making remarks as an 11, 12, and 13-year-old to, to friends of mine. And my parents would have been horrified. My parents, my parents gave, my, gave their lives, have given their entire lives to serving in Mexico. They're missionaries and working among Spanish speakers. But I remember saying horrific things to cousins, you know, sneering things. But you have to repent of that stuff. You have to eradicate that stuff. You have to reach in and pull that stuff out. And I don't care. Sometimes we, there's all kinds of bigotries and prejudices. We can look like this guy. Just look, Christ is drawing people near, and we just want to stand on the out, and we want to look down. Your son squandered his wealth with the prostitutes. I don't want nothing to do with him. I am better than him. God says, no, come near. Let's celebrate. You're missing the party. God calls us to fight against bigotry, hatred, discord, as we see it in society. And I just want to challenge you, posting on Facebook is not good enough. Um, you need to get to know somebody personally. Um, I worked in Phoenix for a while, and uh, the church I was working in started a Spanish-speaking ministry. It went from 13 to 250 in like three years. God was doing sort of amazing things in the Spanish-speaking community. We had English-speaking Hispanics in our church, but when we started the Spanish-speaking ministry, so suddenly I had about 50 new kids in the youth group. And after, at first I didn't want to know, but we were going to go on a trip to L.A., Los Angeles, from Phoenix to L.A., and none of the kids from the Spanish-speaking ministry were signing up. And I realized it's because there's like a sort of border crossing between Arizona and California. And, uh, and so none of the kids wanted to go because about 90% of them were undocumented. And I was like, whoa. It's like it was a kind of an eye-opener. At first, I didn't want to know. I said, I don't want to know. Don't tell me. Don't tell me your status. But, uh, and we tried to do a lot of things to like bring people together. And at first, it didn't work very well. Our church tried real hard to bring people together. And it wasn't because like... It, it just, people have a hard time breaking through these barriers. It went both ways. It wasn't just one community not accepting the other. It was just hard, hard work to cross barriers. And um, I didn't know what to do. And, and so actually all I could do was they, they had a, we, we, I tried to just combine them all into one youth group function, but it wasn't working. So they had a Friday night thing they were doing anyway. So I just was like, all I'm going to do is for the next year is just go, go and hang out and play football with them and do soccer uh, and just hang out with them. And it was just kind of like we just, I just hung out, hung out. And then finally, the coolest things that happened were people began to find unity. We would uh, do, the church would do work days. And actually one time the youth did a missions trip or a service trip and they were doing a building project. And so we had kids from all the different communities coming together and working together. And as they worked together, 
something really special began to happen as they began to develop real relationships and not just sort of talk about it. Like, I think all the kids in the youth group and everybody could have ticked all the, like, not not racist, you know, boxes, but they didn't have real relationships. And and, and they had a hard time actually interacting in a real way with people from a very different background. But as they began to work together and they had a common goal and a common purpose, something began to happen. And I knew that something had happened when my, some of the kids stole my phone and this kid named Jorge and a kid named Kareem took a selfie together and kind of did some funny stuff on my phone. And I thought, ah, oh, Jorge and Kareem are making jokes together. And I said, they have become friends. <laughs> hmm. Uh, but it happened because they had served, this happened at the end of the week of like a sort of service missions trip. If we are going to break through the bonds, it's going to take more than like tweeting or retweeting things or, and I'm, I'm guilty, uh, or, you know, Instagramming our rage or Facebooking our rage. We need, if we're going to see real genuine progress, we need to build relationships across boundaries, real relationships. And oftentimes that can happen in places of service. I also want to challenge you, so in this area of kind of the big area of bigotry, hatred, discord, which God addresses, but maybe this doesn't really relate to you in some ways. Maybe you kind of those parts of your life are kind of squared away or whatever, but there's someone that you cannot forgive. And I want to bring it to you down to, maybe there's hurts, there's wounding. Maybe you're a hurt person who's now hurting others. But you need to forgive this person. You need to welcome them with open arms. Now, if they're a Christian, they're your brother and you are one with them. But if they're not a Christian yet, the cross is the symbol of God's sacrificial, loving embrace of people. And and we cannot use it to keep people away. The cross cannot be turned into a symbol to push people away when it's a symbol of God's sacrificial love. And you need to choose to forgive. And, And we have counseling services here if it's too hard or if it's difficult or if there's some sort of layers to it. And if possible, you should reconcile. If they're not an abuser or they're not somebody who's unsafe, you should seek to reconcile. This is the heart of God. This is the heart of God. I love this picture of Christ the Redeemer looking out over Sao Paulo. Just the arms of God welcoming the city, loving the city. This is the heart of God. Drawing people close and wanting us to be just like him, drawing close to others. You see, our relationship with Christ and our relationship with other people is is linked. It's inextricably, you, you cannot pull it apart. If you want better relationships with other people, you need to draw near to Jesus. You need to call, call on his name. You need to get into his word. You need to live in obedience. You need to let him do soul surgery on you, and you will learn to love other people better. But then as you begin to learn to love other people, and you draw closer to them, and as you grow in your relationships with them, you see things about God you didn't see before, because as you're close to them, and as you're spending time with people, loving them, you see God in a whole new way through their eyes. Our relationships are inextricably linked. Christ, when he draws us into relationship, makes us one with him. Again, 
If God has made our brother or our sister one with him as well, then we need to be one with that person. And we already are one with that person. Christ does not care where you come from, your background, your exam scores, what's going to happen. He wants you to do your best. He wants you to be responsible. He wants you to work hard. Those are great things. But he does not look on those things. He loves you. He has a purpose for you, and that first purpose is to draw you near to him. The second purpose is to give you great intimate relationships with other people. And then I also believe, we didn't talk about this tonight, but he has a purpose for you that you can do things that can matter for eternity. That's a different story for another day. But God has two, at least two great purposes for you, and that is to draw you near to him. And the other great purpose is to give you deep, healthy relationships. And if you need God, if you need to, if you want to work on either one of those things tonight or begin working on either one of those two things tonight, we would love to pray with you and see that happen.